Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It's Ben. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening and subscribing and for all of your likes and comments on social media. I'm just popping in before we start the episode to ask you a favor. Please, please write us reviews on iTunes and wherever your podcasts are. Rate us five stars and um, us. Like, it's not just me. And... um, Please post about this on your Instagram feed or your Instagram story or your Twitter or your TikTok or your Facebook or your office Slack channel. Tell your coworkers. It would really help us just get over that tipping point. Us again. Yes. Well, no one is alone. Thanks for listening. Broadway Podcast Network presents Giants in the Sky, How Sondheim and Lapine Went into the Woods, with me, Ben Rimmelauer. Today's guests, Joanna Merlin and John Lyons, the original casting directors. Once upon a time. Joanna Merlin cast the original Broadway productions of Stephen Sondheim's Into the Woods, Merrily We Roll Along, Sweeney Todd, Pacific Overtures, A Little Night Music, Follies and Company, as well as Evita, Candide, and On the 20th Century. She is a co-founder of the Alliance for Inclusion in the Arts, founder and president of the Michael Chekhov Association, and the author of Auditioning, an actor-friendly guide. As an actor, she originated the role of Seitel in Fiddler on the Roof, along with many other stage and screen credits. John Lyons began his career as a casting director in theater, where he assembled shows as impactful as Sunday in the Park with George, before moving on to a long and prolific career in film, casting numerous movies, including Raising Arizona, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, It Could Happen to You, Striptease, and Tales of the City, as well as James Lapine's Impromptu and Life with Mikey. His major producing credits include Paul Thomas Anderson's Hard Eight and Boogie Nights, and the television version of Claudia Shear's Blown Sideways Through Life. You know, every one of Steve's shows is a different world. Mm. I mean, it is amazing when you think of how different all those shows are. And, And I think... Into the Woods, it seems to me, is is almost the most different. Mm. Because, I don't know, John, but, you, you know, when you were casting it, 
you know, you really had to find actors who had a real sense of fun and heightening of mm-hmm. characters. And yeah. in addition to the voices, of course, and the movement yeah. and, um, and the transition from, you know, yeah. the light to the dark. So yeah. they had to be able to do both of those things. And um, well, I would always just think, what would Joanna do? <laughs> well, no, to an extent I did only because you, you know, loomed so large in my consciousness in a way when I moved to New York, because I did move to New York to work in the musical theater and then was very fortunate to land at Playwrights Horizons, yeah. where Andre really embraced all of that work. But, you know, for me, the shows that I were, that I really revered were all the Sondheim shows that you had cast, Mm. you know, in the 70s and onward, you know, and I just, like, I, I didn't think I even knew what a casting director was when I was listening to those LPs in my bedroom (laughs) in Michigan. But when I started figuring it out, I thought, this is so incredible what Joanna Merlin did with these shows. Well, I can assure you, when I started, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. I did know what a casting director was because I was auditioning for casting <laughs> right. most of my life. Right. And then when Hal had this idea of using me and I said, I don't know anything. And he said, well, well, you'll learn, you, you know, you've got Paul Gemignani and, and yeah. Paul was just a great partner. Yeah. Um, and we used to negotiate. Do you know? I said, well, this person is really a wonderful actor. Could you, if the voice isn't right, because he'd say, oh, well, can't sing. <laughs> that would be his notes on the audition sheet. Can't sing. Right. I said, Maybe you could work with them a little bit. And and he did. And then he'd find somebody with a great voice. He'd say, and I'd say, yeah, but, you know, the act. He said, well, yeah. why don't you work with So that's what we did all those years. Right. And, um, and you know, we really became very close friends. I, did you see his book? Oh, Jim wonderful. Yeah. It's amazing, yeah. his career. I mean, the number of shows that he did. Yeah. Amazing. It's yeah. so astonishing. It's like, but... It's funny when you say that because I think every once in a while I felt the need to team up with Paul to tell Steve, I don't think that person can really sing the role. Mm-hmm. You know, because one of the things that I thought was so amazing and delightful about Steve is that he put the words first in so many ways. He put the acting first. He did. And I can remember bringing in so many great actors. They were terrified. I mean, they would come in. I can remember Christine Baranski, some of these people, grabbing the piano and, you know, <laughs> the time would be like, Christine, step away from the piano. And you could tell for them to come in and have to sing for Steve. Yeah. But he was always so kind. He was. So he was. thoughtful. And so fo- so focused on the acting. In he a beautiful was. way. So can I ask for both of you, 
you had your histories as, as collaborators and fans of Sondheim's and uh, when did the notion of this show even I don't, I don't know maybe it didn't even have the title yet the fairy tale Lapine collaboration after Sunday in the Park with George when did that first come into your consciousness? Well, John, you were the first. I mean, I remember them talking about it every, you know, it was sort of being bandied about a little bit. It was, of course, you know, into the run of um, Sunday in the Park with George. And I think we were doing auditions for Sunday in the Park with George replacements, something that would have never occurred to me never having done Broadway <laughs> show before it's like oh my you're gonna have to replace Bernadette Peters that's not going to be easy um and I remember that Lapine mentioned it to me at some point you know during uh, an audition day that we were doing for understudies or something like that not at the booth but Definitely not at Playwrights Horizons either. Maybe in you know one of the spaces that had been rented for auditions for that day. Um, but there, you know, it wasn't so. It was unconventional, I would say, in the sense that they really asked a lot of people who they knew yes. to go to San Diego. You know, it wasn't sort of a yeah. long. <clears throat> process of auditioning people you know I'm looking I'm actually just I printed out the list of the original cast today because I was like who was in that and a lot of them are people who had done a million shows for Steve like John Cunningham or George Coe or Merle Louise and some of them were people who had come right out of um Sunday in the Park Barbara Barbara Brins uh, Chip Zion Bob Westenberg was Bob in Westenberg. And so there were different people who were who had come <clears throat> out of that show, and then people who I associated with you, Joanna, you know, people that you had introduced to Steve over the years. Right. Which and, are those people, John? That which are the ones you associated with Joanna? Well, John Cunningham mm-hmm. was in company. Company. Yeah. Um, you know, company, one of those records that I listen to so much that I know, I think I still know all the lyrics to all the songs. Um, Merle Louise, mm-hmm. uh, George Maybe. Coe. Mm-hmm. Um, Merle was in Company and Sweden. Yeah. Yeah. George, was George Coe in the original cast? of Yeah, yeah of Company, that's what I thought, yeah. Um, yeah, so, but it was sort of a mixture. And then I think that there were a few people that we, a few roles that we auditioned for. Mm-hmm. Was that was anything to do with the the workshop? Was that was that partly used for trying out casting notions? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And there, there, this is I had already I've already spoken with James Lapine, and he um, couldn't really remember who was in which workshop or who had done a reading. <laughs> yeah. Whether the auditions yeah. were for Broadway or for San Diego. Yeah. Um, so I was having a hard time even confirming with him, like, uh, did Betty Buckley do both workshops pre-San Diego and post-San Diego? Do you know that? I think she did pre-San Diego. 
but I, I don't remember if she did post San Diego. And then no, uh, I, don't, I only worked on it up to a certain point. And then I was launching a new business and had a new partner in that business and everything. And we, I don't know, in one of those moments of real showbiz naivete, we got a couple of offers and we we're like, we're going to be so busy. Oh my God. And so I just sort of thought, I don't know if I can really, if I have the bandwidth to devote to the show. So I, it's at a certain point, very shortly after they came back from San Diego, I think you, you stepped in, Joanna, isn't that right? I did. I did. Yeah. Um, so those workshops after San Diego, I wasn't, I'm not aware of. Yeah. Well, we did, we did, um, we replaced John Cunningham with Tom Aldridge. Yeah. Whom I knew because we had been working in a play together and he's so mm -hmm. wonderful. He was so wonderful. Yeah. Um, and of course, Danielle Furland was in. Yeah. Um, Sunday. Right. And I remember she, she was very nervous about the, her voice, about the range of Little Red Riding Hood. And so we just said, you know, just tell the story. Yeah. And she did that and and she found her voice. Yes. She was so good. I know. <laughs> I must say the the, uh, uh, the I think the revival is wonderful. Have you seen it, John? Yeah, I did too. I did yeah. too. It's funny, you know, one of the things that really you know, really struck me when I <laughs> saw it, and I said this to James, it's it's truly one of those shows that every time you see it in a different point in your life it means something so different to you exactly and in a really emotional way it connects with death you know family member i mean it just really reminded me how kind of alive it is well i was really struck when i saw the revival of the relevance it has for what's happening today. Yeah. I mean, how many giants are there out there? Yeah. You know, and don't we wish there was a little bird who could tell us how to how to kill them? Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. and and the whole sense of the importance of community and you know and who's to blame. I mean, yeah. how did it begin? All those questions somehow seemed suddenly so alive. Yeah. You know, and current and important, um, but yeah. the environment. A lot of the sort of environmental issues around it that I had not even thought of the first time really also resonated with me. Now, like gardens and taking care of a garden, and not or not taking care of a garden or destroying a garden, and all it was so. It's so fascinating because I definitely, I frequently go to shows now if I saw the original production, I just can't ultimately love what I see. No, it's hard. <laughs> and I know it's not fair, but it's sort of like, I know. it's so uh, hard to get somebody's voice out of your head, you know. It, or, it, it happens to me all the time. And yeah. I, like I'm really not being fair. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing about 
that show really is, I think, to such a great extent, like you said, it's just like, there's so many different things every time you see it. It's like, oh. You know, and also the women's issue. I mean, the relationship between the baker and his wife. Yeah. And how that that really evolved, you know, yeah. where he was not, he was, sub, she was totally subordinate. Yeah. Uh, then she became more of an equal. I mean, the women's issue, my God. Yeah. I mean, it is it is interesting because I thought one of the things that impressed me so much about James's book that he was just startlingly honest about the problems he had with Sunday in the Park. Yes, he pulled no punches, and when he interviewed me for it, he said, "You know, just." just say anything you want and, you know, don't edit yourself, whatever. But I really didn't have anything unpleasant to say because for me, it was, I was so starstruck. (laughs) You know, I couldn't believe I was in the room. I couldn't believe I was watching it happen. But then, of course, as the show went on, at Playwrights Horizons, you really are kind of like living over the shop in a way. And so, you know, people did become aware of sort of like the actor's unhappiness and it was such a monumental task for Lapine to take on to write the book and direct it and he really was feeling his way through the theater and he hadn't worked that much with actors and suddenly had some really demanding intelligent actors and he learned so much in such a short period of time. So it seems like by the time he got to Into the Woods, he was so much more aware of the care and feeding of, of actors. Yeah. Care and feeding. <laughs> That's a great line. <laughs> well, it was he didn't know how to do it originally. For the last time, I am not on Ozempic. I made one little joke on this podcast, and everybody started calling me out, texting me, calling me cringe, Whatever. I really was asked by people if I was on Ozempic, and as I told them, I am not. I am just eating factors, no prep, no mess meals, okay? Warmer, sunnier days are coming. Fire Island season is here. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine what are you waiting for with 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week you'll always have new flavors to explore crush your wellness goals this may with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust from breakfast to dessert stay fueled with easy nutritious options treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon shrimp and blackened salmon and kitchen time is kept to a minimum they are ready in two minutes no shopping no prepping no cooking no cleanup enjoy effortless support for your lifestyle choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories 
calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or just simply to eat well balanced. Head to factormeals.com slash giants in the sky 50 and use code giants in the sky 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code giants in the sky 50 at factormeals.com slash giants in the sky 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. In terms of the, the ask of the actors, it, you know, now we're so accustomed to the idea of these shows, these big musicals uh, being developed in partnership with a nonprofit institutional theater in lieu of the old school out of town tryout, um, you know, where the commercial producers are, are attached as the intention from the beginning. But it seems like that was still very much a new idea. Was it a hard sell? to get them to go work for like a lort salary for however many months in San Diego at the time? I mean, not, no, not in my experience. I mean, I think, you know, there were certain people, i.e. like a Betty Buckley who would say, I'd love to do the reading, but there's no way I can commit for that amount of time. But so, sorry, John, just to interrupt you. So is that why... Betty did the workshop, then did not do San Diego, and then did the second workshop after San Diego? You know, again, I, I'm not really sure. You know, I would, was her series still on? I don't know. No, no. It wasn't. I don't know. But she could have been committed to something else. I just don't know. Yeah. But I think when it was the lure of the possibility of working with Steve, people wanted to do it if they could. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, you know this, I'm sure, John, that that uh, Kim Crosby and Bob Westenberg got married. Yes. So Cinderella and the Prince, yeah. the life, got married. Yeah. <laughs> that was yeah. Just such a great story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, another great love story of uh into the woods is um i mean you know a different kind of love but uh chip and joanna i mean it's um their performances are so memorialized so i mean i i you know instead of people memorizing a cast album because of that american playhouse broadcast people have memorized their entire performances i mean every single line reading of joanna gleason's is like iconic um and i i wonder what the pro i mean what was it like putting her in that role and how did it, how did anyone play it before her? Wasn't she, she wasn't the original Baker's wife. She was. Yeah. Had she, I mean, cause like, this is the stuff that I can't get the answers to. Like, had she done the very first reading at playwrights? Oh God, you know, it's a horrible thing to lose one's mind. Nobody remembers. No, I mean, a long time ago. I <laughs> I think she must have. That's probably a question for Ira Weitzman if you want to dial him. He back didn't know. Up. He needs he to look at the storage so space. None of us remember these things. I am going to talk to Joanna Gleason. I think she'll remember when she'll her remember. first reading was, but she won't remember what happened before she came in, you know. I I mean I I know she went to San Diego. She was yes. part of the company in San Diego. Mm-hmm. She must have done 
she must have done one of the readings prior to it. I mean, I guess, or did she come in and audition? I can, you know, I'm suddenly thinking like we did have auditions in the basement of one of the new theaters that was being built for the extension of Theater Row. Oh. Hmm. Um, but I don't remember her auditioning. But you know, these things are so slippery. Sometimes I do remember people auditioning for things and they're like, I never auditioned for that. <laughs> oh my God. I could have sworn I you saying blah, blah, blah. No. Um, so I don't, I don't think, you know, when they went to San Diego, obviously they, there were no performance ghosts hovering over them. Yes. Uh, also, I mean, there's sort of a legend around Bernadette's um, kind of 11th hour casting, um, whether it was a lunch with Sondheim right before rehearsal started for the Broadway production or a phone call or, you know, these different versions of the story. But I, what I want to know is how is it coming out of Sunday in the Park with George that she was never in consideration at all prior to that? I don't, I don't think she wasn't under consideration. I think she had something else to do, if I remember correctly. Chances are. Chances are. That's yeah. yeah. And, um, and what about, like, I mean, uh, I don't know. The other question, I think, would be, did Ellen Foley always wonder, is Bernadette Peters going to come back when this comes to New York? <laughs> That's what I wondered at one point, sort of like, because it was such a mix of like the best of Steve and the best of Sunday in the Park, you know? Yeah. Well, then then she was the final witch on Broadway, Ellen Foley. So she got her turn, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Felicia Rashad took over from Bernadette Peters. At first, right? Yeah, when Bernadette left. Felicia, then Nancy Dussault, and then Ellen. I think you're right. But again, I think Betsy Joslin in there somewhere. Hmm? What? And Betsy Joslin at one point. Maybe if that was, I don't know. You know, the IBDB doesn't give you the dates always. So I don't know if Betsy Joslin did one night, but it looks like she was one of the lineups. Or maybe she was a, a standby. A standby. Yeah. I mean, I just... How long did it run, Joanna? I mean, it ran a lot long. Sunday in the Park didn't run that long. No. Um, Into the Woods did. I worked on the show for two and a half years. Yeah. We yeah. also did the tour. Right. Yeah. Cleo Lane playing. Yes. And right. Charlotte Ray playing Jack's mother, who was, she was so wonderful. I mean, I don't know if anybody could be as good as Barbara Brin, but mm. but Charlotte Ray was pretty funny. I'll bet she was. <laughs> I bet. And Isn't it funny, I feel like I was thinking about Cleo Lane the other day. She seems to be sort of forgotten. Like I had all of I had all of her records. I just thought John Dankworth and Cleo Lane, mm-hmm. they were like the coolest jazz singers. <laughs> Well, I don't know. I mean, we're talking about the 80s, so who yeah. knows who's still around or not? Uh, I mean, had Cleo been considered for Broadway? I know she had just done The Mystery of Edwin Drood at that time. 
I, maybe she was not available. I, I don't remember. And um, what about with Patti LuPone? I mean, she talks about how she wanted to play Cinderella and, you know, the, she, they didn't see her like that. Um, but uh, did, was it really just a matter of negotiations then for the witch that she didn't get the part? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Patty, you know, my image of Patty is a beat up. Yeah. <laughs> hard for me to think of her. Yeah. I mean, then I, and I, uh, I, I kind of knew her work from having seen all the shows at Juilliard when mm. she was in first class with Kevin. Yeah. And um, so I went just because I was just, didn't know, you know, where to, how to look for actors. And, um, and so I went to these various showcases and graduating and, and plays of, of the uh, productions at the school. And I saw that first class several times. And then I saw her at a Christmas party at Hal's house. She was there with Kevin. Mm. And, um, and they had been on a, they had been with the acting company for like four years, you know. I saw them do the robber bridegroom together. Yes. In Ann Arbor, yes. Michigan, when I was in college. Yeah, they were. Yeah. And then and it was on Broadway for a little bit. And it was clear even then, you know, that they were stars and I didn't know nothing from nothing I was I think like a senior at the University of Michigan and they were showstoppers yeah yeah but it was it was very hard to find uh anyone who had that any young woman who had that range because it was this high chest voice Mm. and um and at this party I was talking to her because I had known them from Juilliard and, and I said how how high does your voice go and she said well I'm not sure I don't know it's pretty high well don't you come in and audition <laughs> um, anyway she was and that was that was also uh, when she and Mandy sort of became such fast friends uh, over the years yeah. Um, and then did a show together, which was great. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, cause the, the Patty version of the Into the Woods story is that she wanted to play Cinderella. She auditioned. They didn't see it. They offered her the witch. And then negotiations broke down. I mean, and I'm like, what was she at? What was the negotiation that was, I mean, if the part went to, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, I assume it was money. I don't know. Those are the things that casting directors are not always a part of. Ah, yes, the, yes. Well, the, the producers and the directors and the the creative yeah. team. Yes. And what what about all the other? I mean, um, people that. Um, uh, I mean, for example, like. Uh, and James Lapine mentioned that he had been interested in like different rock and roll people for the for the part of the witch. Was that like a a thing that was? Was there a lot of availability check going on for Pat Benatar? I mean, was there a lot of time spent in that um, kind of stuff? I, yeah, I mean, 
I remember Pat Benatar auditioning. Oh. But I might be thinking of Evita. Oh, well, that would be cool too. I think I think it was Evita. So um it's it's just it's difficult to remember everybody who auditioned for a part. Of course. Of course. It was, you know. Um what in terms of the ones that actually had a, a time with it, I mean what what happened with Betty Buckley? Because I mean obviously Bernadette became so iconic in the role and I'm sure it was fashioned somewhat around all the things that she brought to it. Um, but certainly Betty Buckley seems like she would have been an ideal choice for the role. So how come that didn't work out? This all, this predates, yeah, this was not, she wasn't in part of the, you know, situation for San Diego that I remember. But, you know, you're saying about Bernadette, you know, kind of establishing a uh, a way of playing the rich. Um, I think that, you know, when Felicia came in, I mean, she played it differently. And I think, I think, John, you might agree that, you know, you when you're looking for a replacement, you look for someone who's not going to be an imitation or a kind of, Right. And who brings their own kind of uniqueness into the role and still being able to do what was, what's required. Yeah. And and of course, at that time, you know, non-traditional casting was was not a normal at all. Yeah. Uh, it was it was just about the it was the year after we had established the non-traditional casting project. And I think you were around then. Yeah. Uh, in the CSA. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And then we had this huge symposium yeah. where we demonstrated non-traditional casting uh, with 56 actors in 18 scenes. And it ran, I mean, the organization was functioning for 32 years and the landscape now is really, has changed, thank heavens. Um, it really has. You know, I feel like it took so long but it seems like now it's finally changed over the past five years or yeah. so. but you know it was very controversial then yeah and at these panels that we had at the symposium we had invited people from all over the country academia regional theaters and so on writers directors and the questions were you know how can it be done? Are there enough actors of color that are trained and polished enough? And what will the, how will the audiences feel about it? And how do the writers feel about, uh, you know, uh, changing the, the casting? Uh, what we found, though, was that the writers did not want the casting to be different in the original production that they were sort of okay about it, perhaps in revivals or tours or something, but uh, they had a lot of questions about it. A lot of people had questions about it. It yeah. took a long time to really kind of open the minds of the industry. Yeah. Well, I remember people always using, which I thought made perfect sense, you know, the opera analogy. It's like, Nobody says what color is Aida in this production or, you know, 
how could Mimi be a black woman? I mean, it, it seemed like they got past it first, but there was, it was still, yeah, it was, it was, I remember being very controversial. And I remember some writers saying things like, well, that individual wouldn't have been speaking that language. And it's like, well, this is a production of Chekhov and they're speaking English. Yeah. <laughs> they're not speaking Russian. So, I mean, all bets are off in a way. It's not yeah. really culturally. You just are used to seeing white people do it. And Hamlet is not always played by a Dane. <laughs> in fact, rarely is it is it played by a day. Actually, that was what Lee, Lee Brewer, Lee Brewer, oh yeah, Babuman said. He wrote. Uh, he he also was at the symposium, and he said um, that that non traditional casting is not about art and tradition. It's about economics and politics and religion and race. Mm. And I think he was right. So interesting that you should say that, Joanna, because it really is, you know, the sort of the downtown theater scene was way, way ahead of everybody else in this regard. Richard Foreman, Lee Breuer, Charles Ludlum. I mean, they were way beyond conventional ideas of gender and color and sexuality. Yeah. And I remember I would always, you know, go down and go downtown and see all of those shows. And they did feel, you know, they generally felt so fresh and so wild. Yeah. Kind and of it's like- probably because they weren't, you know, they didn't hunker down behind those ideas. No, there was a sort of artistic freedom that you did yeah. on Broadway, you know. Broadway was really, and and the audiences on Broadway were mostly white, Mm -hmm. except for an August Wilson play once in a while. So it was a huge, a huge leap, really, over those years. Was there any pushback when Felicia was cast in Into the Woods? No, no. I think James and Steve were, were very supportive. Or in the press or in the community or anything like that? Um, there was, as I recall, I mean, there was discussion about it, but um, but I think it was, um, I, I think that I, as far as I know, I don't think that in the press they, they were criticizing the casting. Um, she was but, also a big star. Yes. She was. She was Mrs. Huftable. Yeah, right in the middle of you know, right. I mean, she was, yeah. they were, that was the biggest show mm-hmm. for years and years and years. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. And, you know, I was wondering when I saw the revival, I actually have seen it twice. Yeah. Um, 
I was wondering because the witch's block in both there's was a replacement of the original one and then mm-hmm. back and anyway. So I've seen two witches in these revivals and they're both black. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and I wondered if uh if the fact that Felicia had played it had something to do with that. Um I, I remember seeing um, a production in Los Angeles when I was in high school with um, Leslie Uggams as the witch also. Uh-huh. And I remember people talking about the fact that Felicia had done it. I mean, it was recent at that point on Broadway, but I, you know, it was as if the ground had been broken or the door had been opened. Yeah, yeah. Um, keeping it into the woods, a different kind of non-traditional casting. I know that one of the replacements in the original run as Jack was Jeff Blumenkrantz, who was yeah. um, not a child and very tall. And <laughs> I wonder if there was any kind of uh, concept behind that. He was so wonderful. <laughs> so funny. Um, well, you know, in a fairy tale, really, you can do anything. Mm. You can, uh, you know, I think the Jack that is in this revival now is is older. Yeah, definitely. It yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah. It's, you know, uh, that that's, was kind of the fun of casting it also, is mm. that you could go to all kinds of different places. Um, they didn't have to fit into the conventional way of thinking of a 15-year-old child. Um what about when um, was it that Dick Cavett came in as the narrator for a spell? Oh, right. Yeah. I never saw him. I never saw him do it. Yeah. Yeah, but he didn't. He didn't play the mysterious man. Right. Then I guess Edmund Lindeck went up to that role for that period. Well, it was like Tom Aldridge went on vacation. Well, you probably know more than I do, but but originally Ed Lindick was playing Cinderella's father. father, but it was a yeah. very small part. Yeah, yeah, and um, he was, yeah. Um, I I don't know if he played the narrator, but it would make sense if he did. I I, I my understanding was that for the when Tom Aldridge went on vacation or wherever he went that Dick Cavett was the replacement narrator but only the narrator and that Edmund Lindeck yeah, played the Cinderella's yeah. father for that yeah. period and whoever covered him was the Cinderella's father I you think know. you're right exactly exactly thank you thank you for refreshing my well memory. just because I've got I've reading up on it all reading up on it all um, you, one one thing that you kind of glanced on that it's is so fascinating to me, and I really felt it in this revival, is that it it became like the most produced high school musical yeah. for like 15 years. And when I went to see the revival this time, I thought, my God, everybody in this theater has been in this show. <laughs> they just felt like they knew the show backward and forward and they were applauding things mm. i just thought they've all been in this show or they're the parent of somebody who's been in this show yeah i mean the the audience is as i, as I said i've seen it twice 
And both times the audiences went crazy. Wild. After every song. Yeah. Sometimes before. Yeah. (laughs) That was the thing that really struck me. It's like they're applauding. It's like, (laughs) it's like, I don't know, Barbara Streisand just breaks into the first two bars of people and they're like, ah! It's like they really knew the show forward and backward. Or, or, you know, we're just very responsive. And that it it just, you know, everybody knows about fairy tales. And most people love fairy tales. Um, And just to see them act it out in this way with this wonderful music. And yeah. uh, uh, Yeah. I know it was a it was a treat. It was a treat to see it again. Yeah. It is again, like I said, it's just one of those things that just was the things that grab you or make you reflect now as opposed to what they would have 35 years ago or a different point in your life are really it's built to last that show. It is. It is. And um I, I think I think it could run for a long time if yeah yeah. Were there any? Um, well, speaking of it running a long time, uh, if they were looking for stars to come in to to keep the show going, are there any any fantasies that either of you ever had for this show <laughs> that that never that haven't happened yet? dream pat benatars you know those kind of people anybody that that was on your list that you you would still like to see take a crack well i'd like to see patty Bupon play the witch yes <laughs> yeah time. You're here. Time. yeah joanna how did it come to be that you went into casting you referenced that hal was uh pushing you to do it what what prompted that well, he wrote, he wrote, I wrote this book on auditioning and he sent, wrote a foreword and he talked about why, why he hired me. And he said that he'd been seeing a lot of casting directors and he felt they didn't really like actors mm-hmm. and he wanted somebody who loved actors. And uh, so, you know, why not an actress? Uh, and he said, and a Jewish mother. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I was um, really a beginner. I had, you know, and and what I found was that, and I'm sure you've you've had the same experience, John. That um, that um, a lot of really good actors don't audition well. Absolutely. And that was what got me started in teaching, actually. Yeah. And then eventually writing this book, um, I was trying to figure it out. I mean, I, you know, I had done my own auditions, but I never really sort of figured out how to approach it because it's a totally different craft than acting. Totally different. You don't have readers. I mean, you don't have a, an actor that you're working yeah. with, um, that you haven't had any direction and... Uh, you may not have seen the script, you know, you may have, have gotten the script yeah. the night before. Um, and and it, it's hard. It's, it's hard not to be, and then you have the nerves and the fears uh, of, you know, not getting the part or not doing a good job. And, um, and so 
it was a learning experience for me. Uh, and, and so um, that, that really was the beginning of my teaching, which is what I then have been doing all these years. Um, I never really knew that, Joanna. I, I mean, I had sort of a similar experience in that I was, you know, working at Playwrights Horizons and stage managing and doing things, and they got this grant, and suddenly there were some jobs to be, you know, passed around, and Andre asked me if I wanted to be the casting director, and I was like, I have no idea what that is, really. He was like, oh, you'll learn. Don't worry. And it was, I just remember so clearly there was the phone and the playwright's number was 564-1235. Then there was a rollover line, 1236. <laughs> and we gave out the 1237 number to actors. So I would just say, if 1237 answers it, just pick it up and say casting. <laughs> and I just thought, I am really going to screw this up. So badly but you know everybody was everybody was sort of the same age and you know it was but Andre also I and I think because well it's his inclination and his personality but also because it was an artist driven theater a writer's theater and maybe because it's my personality and inclination it's like we just went out of our way to be incredibly warm and gracious to everybody who auditioned and it's interesting that you should say that because many casting directors weren't oh i know i, and I think they're better now i think it's kind of more professionalized now but you would have seen people i saw people other casting directors eat during auditions or have a dog in the room with them or it was just I think it's got to be more professional than it was, but people could be horrible. Well, you know, these these days, uh, television has sort of, you yeah. know, taken over most of the casting. Yeah. I mean, in in the eighties, you know, uh, yeah. we hard, you know, we hardly there were hardly any any television shows I mean comparatively anyway and and they have to work so fast and sometimes they don't get this this the scripts until you know a couple of days before and they make quick quick calls and so on and and they're it's very stressful um and not not so much with film or theater but in television they there's so much work and and um, and so it's hard for the casting directors mm-hmm. like, to be patient, but, but maybe some of them don't really like actors. <laughs> maybe well, that was right. Yeah. I mean, one of the other things that, you know, again, I'm not doing it anymore, but which I hear from my casting friends, it just astonishes me that more often than not, now the directors never meet the actors. They yeah. tape, they show them the tape, they yeah. pick the tape. No. I mean, this is so inconceivable to me. Somebody started in New York and has had my career here, really, that so much of it was like the moment between the actor and the director coming into the room, leaving the room, blah, 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 blah. And now that just doesn't even exist anymore. 
No, the self tape has changed everything. Wow, incredible. No. Well, I'm glad that Into the Woods was cast the old fashioned way. That probably explains some of the uh, really, really um, just human performances that we got. Yeah. Mm. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm so grateful to you both for, for sharing this uh, experience with me. I'm really, I'm so fascinated to talk to you and I'm so grateful for this and for, for the work that you did on this show. Well, it's so, it was fun. It was such a pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. It was lovely to see you, John. And yeah, yeah. Joanna, I'm I'm going to email you after this. We're going to have you you put us back together. We're going to have Good. a coffee Good. in Brooklyn. Yeah. <laughs> glad to hear that. Well, thank you both. Have a wonderful day. And uh, thank you so much. Thank you for loving the show so much. Oh, listen, I'm just one of millions, but I will. Uh, you know, but it's it's you know it's fantastic. You know these things. They don't always live on and on, you know? Even some of the great ones don't. Yeah. Well, into the woods shall. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Giants in the Sky, how Sondheim and Lapine went into the woods on the Broadway Podcast Network. Look out for episode 12 with Jeff Blumenkrantz, Rapunzel's Prince in the pre-Broadway workshop. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.